Welcome to Trevecca Community Church's Sermon Podcast. We hope this resource draws you closer to God and helps you grow in your faith. Join us this Sunday as Pastor Tim continues our current sermon series with a message from Romans chapter 15. blessing and honor of all glory and power? Is he worthy of figuring out how to be a congregation that's in the building and online? Amen. Is he worthy? He is worthy of all this. He is worthy of all this and of all this and of all this. He is worthy. And so here we are today because our God is worthy of all this and more. And all the things that we can't give, even if we wanted to, he's worthy of so much more. And so today as we come and we bring tithes and offerings, however we do that today, whether it's dropping off a check in the back or giving online, or all of the things that you are giving and serving your church, however we are giving back to the Lord today, we do it because he is worthy. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love, for your grace, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, a gift for which we could not be worthy if we tried. And yet you give it so freely. And so as your sons and daughters, we give back to you. We ask that you would gather up the gifts of this scattered church, that you would bless it, make it so much more than we could ask or imagine for the sake of your kingdom. And we will give you all praise and glory because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, I'm going to read our scripture passage for today. It's from Acts chapter 15 if you have your Bibles and want to get out and follow along. But before I do that, I want to let you know that after we read the scripture, we're going to see a short video. A video of two members of our congregation. And you get to see their whole faces. Isn't that going to be good? And you get to see them sit at a table and talk to one another and have kitchen table conversation. You remember last week we talked about God talk at the kitchen table and how the book of Romans isn't a book that's written to be read at the dining room table where you're sitting on those upholstered chairs afraid you're going to spill your cranberry sauce and upset somebody. It's a book to be read at the kitchen table where real life happens and hard decisions get made and life is messy and that's where God meets you. And so we're going to hear two of our members of the congregation have some God talk at the kitchen table. And we're going to see one of these videos every week to help us see what it's like for our congregation to continue these conversations on. But before we do, let's hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. 
For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. father of four. I got four great kids. My, my wife is Emily DeVore. She works at the church. And um, right now my work is focused at uh, United Way of Greater Nashville, where I work with um, programs that serve families and experience homelessness. It's good to meet you. So hello, my name is Carla and I'm currently an international student at Tribeca and I'm studying pastoral ministry and thankfully I'm a senior this year. So I'm looking forward to what's so Carla, we were um, reading Romans 15, 1 through 13 and, and trying to reflect on that and just think about what, what it means for us and, and what thoughts we had in regards to that passage. So what, what was your immediate reaction to that passage? This is a, a verse, a chapter about unity and what it means to, to be united as a body of Christ and what it means to, to reflect that and embody that. And I really like one of the words that was the right of the the first verse that um, it had it was about embracing the 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 failures of the week and when I hear the word embrace I just feel like the first thing that comes to my mind is um, Jesus on a cross embracing all the sins of humanity embracing all all that that just doesn't bring unity to the body of Christ and I feel that there's so many ways that we can embody that and and should not limit the different and different ways to embody that within communities within classrooms within different aspects of life there should be a way that we should never cease to create and imagine new things into that type of faith and I think that um, commitment is um, core part of what uh, we're reflecting on with this passage is, you know, what is God calling us into? Um, God's calling us into a way of being with our neighbors that our very understanding of who God created us to be is wrapped up in relationship to the other. 
And I think that's a very significant understanding that uh, it's hard to come to unless we position ourselves um, in a way that um, allows these conversations to occur. We will never be strong if we are just thinking about the things that we can do for others by our own means, by our own strength. I feel that that's when we become weak. We become weak when we think we can do it by ourselves. But we become strong when we let ourselves be united in community and when we let ourselves be also seen as weak sometimes because we will be the weak and we will be the ones who need help. You know, we, we have to work to, to push on these conditions so that we can um, no longer think about in and out or weak and strong, but recognize what God has uniquely created us to be as the body of Christ. And Well, thank you, Rod. It was really great um, learning from you and learning from all your experience. And I hope we keep growing together and we keep knowing more about how we can help out and serve the communities around us. Carla, it's been great to talk to you. Um, thanks for sharing uh, this time with me and having this open conversation. I appreciate you. Carla Rod, thank you so much. If you want to hear the rest of that conversation, that's going to be available on the church podcast that comes out every week. And so it's a, an ongoing conversation related to what we've discussed oftentimes in the sermon. And over the weeks to come, we'll have those extended conversations available on the podcast, which is available through the church website as well. Oh, it's so good to be together. Good to see you, brothers and sisters. We are walking right now through the book of Romans in this a series that we're calling God Talk at the Kitchen Table, where we are discussing the real things of life through this magnificent book called the Book of Romans. Now, last week, we were in chapter 16. This week, we're in chapter 15. And you may be wondering, why are we going backwards through the Book of Romans? Have you lost your minds? And in some sense, there is a method to the madness because this is only going to make sense for those of you who have maybe put together a jigsaw puzzle before. You know, you open the box and you pour out all the pieces. What is the most important thing about putting together a jigsaw puzzle? Well, the edges, but then before that, even the picture on the box, right? You need to know what this thing is supposed to be before you can put those pieces together so that the picture on the box gives you some kind of a context for the mess that you're looking at on the table in front of you. And so you know that the little horsey is supposed to correspond with something else, or these trees are supposed to belong together. That's part of what we're doing with the book of Romans, that we start at the end with this picture that gives some context to all of the pieces that we're putting together. Now, I don't want to spoil the ending for you. That is not really the intent here. But when you know what's coming at the end, you tend to understand with more context the pieces that are coming in the middle. Several years ago, our family was gathered together at Christmas time, and we went to go see a new Star Wars movie that had just hit the theaters. And I have no intention of spoiling a Star Wars movie for anybody who might be even vaguely interested in this film. So I'm just going to let you know that in this particular movie, there is the death of a significant character, and that's all I'm going to say about that for this story. We got together for Christmas. It was opening weekend, so we only could find tickets for like the early showing, 10 o'clock. And we went there with the whole family. My niece and nephew were there. My nephew was about eight or nine at the time. 
And then the plan was, we're going to finish the movie, we're going to go have lunch together, and we'll discuss the film. Well, we are there in the theater. This great climactic scene unfolds with this death of this significant character. And I look over, and there's my nephew, who is a major Star Wars fan, wide-eyed. I can't believe this is happening. And the credits roll, and we leave the theater, and there outside of the theater is this great big line of all of these people who are waiting to get into the theater because this is opening weekend. And so we've got all these people coming, lining up to get it. Remember those days? <laughs> Theaters, lines. Those were the good old days. All these people waiting to get in to see this brand new film on opening weekend. And that's the moment that my nephew looks up at me with those same wide eyes and in a full voice says, I can't believe that so-and-so died. I thought... I was going to have to physically defend my eight-year-old nephew against an army of Star Wars nerds with lightsabers. Those people are terrifying in large groups. It didn't happen. But I can imagine they saw that movie very differently because they had an idea of what was coming at the end. That's part of what we're doing in Romans. Now, what's the ending of Romans that helps us to understand passages like chapter 15? It's what we heard last week. This image of the church now, what's fascinating to me about the book of Romans is a massive theological contribution to the church's history. I mean, among the books of the New Testament, Romans kind of stands out as one of those big ones. Like Pastor Sean has said, like, this is one of the ones we tend to have read at the dining room table because it's that big of a deal. What's fascinating to me is that Paul, who wrote this letter, doesn't use the word church until the very last chapter of this. So how do you have this massive book that never talks about the church until the very last chapter. Part of what I think is going on here in our approach to reading the book of Romans is to say, let's look at all of the stuff that God has been doing in the world through Jesus Christ. And what comes out at the other side of that is something called church. We don't have an idea of what the church is supposed to be before this redemptive work of God in Jesus Christ that's doing something brand new in the world. It's almost as if the book of Romans is functioning in such a way that Paul's just going to start telling you all the stuff that's going on through Jesus, and whatever Jesus does with people as a result of that kind of becomes, well, the church. Um, JP, Tracy, that's what's so exciting to me about what you're doing in Nashville. Several weeks ago, you heard JP talk a little bit about what's going on in the city of Nashville and how they moved their family to Nashville to be able to just kind of get involved in what God is doing in the world and whatever that's going to be, we're just going to kind of call that church. There's more at NashvilleCollective.org. You can check that out, get involved, join the discernment group that JP is leading for us. But to understand this, I, I think um, to have those kitchen table conversations about what God is doing in the world so we can just kind of walk this thing out in real life. I think about the table that's in our kitchen in the book that's been sitting there for several weeks. Someone gave to our kids one of those books on how to draw. You know what I'm talking about? It's like this one is in particular is how to draw cats, cats and lions. And so they've been learning to draw cats and lions. And so they put the sketches together step by step. You're supposed to draw this first and then you draw this second. But really the most important thing you have to do first is to see the finished product of what it's supposed to be like so that you know that this line's going to correspond to the eye, or this line's going to correspond to the ear, or the head, or something along those lines. And I think the image that Paul is giving to us in Romans, the finished image, 
is an image of the church in the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's where all of this is headed. When God works in these redemptive ways, it's almost as if you see the artist Paul picking up his paintbrush, and he's dipping into the palette a little bit here, and he's beginning to put strokes on the canvas, and eventually it's strokes like freedom in Christ. It's strokes like the renewing of your mind. It's strokes like Jews and Gentiles living together. It's strokes like the Spirit of God moving and taking hold of a group of people and giving them freedom over sin. And what comes out on the other side of that is this finished image of the church in the likeness of Jesus. I brought with me one of my favorite paintings. Some of you have seen this before because this hangs on my office wall. My college roommate and someone who is so much more talented than me painted this. He was a, a classmate of mine in college. He was a classmate of mine in seminary. He graduated from seminary and went on to become a pastor. And when he was a pastor in San Diego, he painted this as part of one of the services that they had. I saw the image and I contacted him. I said, would you please be willing to do something like that for me? And so he produced this incredible image. And it hangs on my office wall where I can see it. I want this on the wall where I can see it because for me, this is a kitchen table image. It's an image, of course, that is taken from John chapter 20, where Jesus is in the resurrection. He was standing before the disciples. He's still bearing the marks of his crucifixion. His side is open. It's the place where the fluids of life have drained out of his body, and now that place where the life has drained out is the place of invitation back into faith and fellowship. And it's this passage where he breathes the Holy Spirit and the church is happening. Something's going on there. And I put this on my wall because I want the kitchen table aspect of my life to be like strokes that make sense in light of this finished product. That is to say, when I sit down to write an email, part of what I'm asking is, is the way that I'm representing myself in this email gonna make sense in this? Is there a stroke in this email that fits in this finished product. When we're making conversations as a, making decisions as a family, having conversations about how things are going to go, does that resonate with this? When we're making decisions about church life, what we ought to be doing together as a church, are we making decisions that are strokes that fit in this image? A church in the likeness of Jesus Christ, crucified, broken open, poured out, given away, and resurrected victoriously. Is that the kind of thing that we're doing together? Now, I think what Paul is doing here in chapter 15 is painting another stroke in that painting. He's asking people in the kitchen table conversations, in the everyday lived reality of life, especially regarding the weak and the strong, are you painting a picture that looks like this? Are you moving in this direction? At the very beginning of chapter 15, he's writing to this group of Christians and he's basically saying, there are the weak among you and there are the strong among you and the strong have got to be patient to be able to come with the weak. You've got to give them some space, bring them along with you. But that immediately, for me at least, begins to beg the question, okay, that's fine, Paul, but who are the weak and who are the strong? Now, Paul, of course, is writing to people who are living in Rome. And Rome knew lots about strength. 
They also knew lots about weakness, but primarily Rome knew lots about strength. In every corner of the Roman Empire, there were images that were being painted and created and curated to be able to project this image of strength. That is to say, Rome is really strong, and we know what that means. We've got more military power than you do. We've got more economic power than you do. We've got more cultural power than you do. And we're going to export this kind of Roman greatness all over the world so that you can enjoy the goodness of Rome. And that's done through strength. We're just going to continue to do that. And so they would put images on coins. I mean, we have passages like Jesus encountering this in the New Testament. When someone hands him a coin, he goes, well, whose image is on that coin? Well, it's Caesar's image. And make no mistake, Caesar looks really big and really strong. And all the images that Rome tended to produce around Caesar, Caesar is the image of strength. And so I think it's critical for us to understand that when Paul is writing to these Christians, they are living in the seat of this imperial power, people who really ought to know what is strong. But when Paul gets to verse 3 in verse 15 here, he begins to wrestle with this question of, well, who is strong and who is weak? And in, chapter, in verse 3, he says, we ought to be like Christ, who was patient to bring others with him. Well, who are the ones who are supposed to be patient? The strong. They're supposed to be patient with the failings of the weak. And suddenly it hits me, oh my word, Jesus is he strong or is he weak? Because Paul seems to think that he's strong here because he's supposed to be patient to deal with the failings of the weak. But wasn't it Roman power that crucified Jesus? I mean, wasn't it Roman strength that made Jesus look weak? And so suddenly what we're seeing is Paul painting this picture of a church that is supposed to be in the likeness of Jesus who is exhibiting this kind of strength but not in the way of Rome, but in the way that he is turning the world upside down and making it new. And it's almost as if to suggest that maybe our whole concept of strength is backwards if we think that it's Rome's strength and not the strength that has been shown in Jesus Christ. Now, I find a lot of hope in that because around the kitchen table, we gotta have conversations about what we do with strength and weakness. And who is strong and who is weak? In this body, this beautiful image, this painting that Paul is putting together for us, I think we need to ask those questions. And when I think about the image of strength in the community that looks like this, suddenly I'm having names and faces come to mind. These aren't necessarily people who have a kind of Roman strength. These are folks who I think about in a small kind of storefront church in San Diego where Shauna and I used to worship. Probably didn't have more than a couple of nickels to rub together. Certainly nothing in the way of kind of position and power. There will be no great monument erected to them. Their names will never be on any building. And yet, friends, they are strong because of the way that every fiber of their being was directed toward this image. The, the way that they were so at home in the image that Paul is painting because they were fully devoted to the way of Jesus Christ. And I think that there's this tension that emerges in our culture today where we say, 
But we, we think we know who the strong ones are. They're the ones who kind of have the position and the power and the authority and the ability to do some stuff. But that doesn't always necessarily equate to the kind of strength that Paul is talking about here. There may be people who are just so devoted to the way of Jesus that we would call those people saints. I wonder if you could take just a minute and think with me. Who are those people in your life? Do you see the faces coming to mind? What are the names? As you think about those who have exhibited strength. And I mean that in the way of just being devoted to the way of Jesus, even if it means that they don't have a lot in terms of Roman power. It might mean that they have Roman power, but they're using it in such a way that just fits at home with an image like this. A church that is in the image of the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Who are those names? Who are those faces? There's a kind of beauty in what Paul is suggesting here. And I wonder, as I look out at many of you, for many of you, you are those names and faces to me. You are people who have varying degrees of kind of Roman power in the world. But as I look out at some of your faces today, as I think about who's tuning in online, I think about people who exhibit in my life the likeness to the way of Jesus. And friends, if that's you today, you probably aren't thinking about, well, that must be me. He's probably talking about me. You might be thinking to yourself, I don't really have any strength in the world. But maybe even if you can't think about yourself like that, you can hear these words. We need you. We need you desperately. We need you because the strong are supposed to be the ones who can carry the weak and be patient with the failings of the weak. And friends, I know, I've lived in the church long enough to know, we got some weakness around here. That's not just to say that you don't have like power and prestige in the world. It means we've got some folks around here who are really struggling to follow in the way of Jesus. We really do. But friends, if you are the ones who are strong, can I just say thank you for bearing in patience with the weak? I need you. I need you to be patient with my failings because I struggle to follow in the way of Jesus sometimes. So thank you for the way that you looked at my shortcomings and said, I'm not going to throw him under the bus. You know, I'm not going to just call him out publicly and humiliate him when he's not able to follow in the way of Jesus as faithful as he ought to. Thank you for not just torching me when I was wrong and I wasn't following in the way of Jesus. Thanks for not doing that. Thank you for bearing in patience the way that Jesus would bear with me. And so I think you can see the challenge here. We are people who are prone to say, in a lot of ways, that the weak are strong and the strong are weak. But my mind is drawn to the saints who wouldn't even get a brush stroke in Rome's painting, but who have painted with this vivid color in the image of Christ. And it may very well be the case that they wouldn't think of themselves in this way. And yet these are the very people of strength we depend on to bear with the weak. But the painter Paul isn't done yet. He's still working on this Christ-like image of the church. And he says things like this, Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. 
Now, some of your translations may say welcome instead of accept. Whatever English word is there, in Greek, it's a really powerful word. This isn't just this notion of acceptance like, hey, I just kind of vaguely accept, like it's happening and I don't care for it, but whatever, I'm just going to accept it. No, this is the kind of acceptance where you take something close to your heart. It's almost like eating, like it's, you're ingesting it. It's that close to your body. That's the kind of power of acceptance that we're talking about here. And one of the things that fascinates me the most about Romans is that this is oftentimes the book that gets used on something called the Romans Road to Salvation. Some of you have hung around the church for a while, know something about the Romans Road to Salvation. That basically goes like this. You need to accept Jesus into your heart. When as a matter of fact, in Romans, it's kind of the exact opposite. It's not about us willing to accept Jesus into our heart as much as it is Jesus accepting us to his. In that grand kind of an acceptance where there's this wide open embrace and welcome and Christ is saying to us, come, especially you who are weak, who haven't been able to follow me yet, who have been seduced by this other image of kind of like power and Rome's strength. I'm going to make you strong in a totally different way if you will accept this embrace. And so the good news that comes to us in this is that maybe, as I describe those saints, the ones who are strong in the way of Jesus, you're going, oh man, I'd like to be there. Honestly, I would. I'm just not. I get that. I understand. If you're not there yet and you want to be, I get that. But can I give you some good news? There is a welcome for you that can make you strong in Christ? There's this wide, open welcome where if you are weak and you're just trying to follow the way of Jesus but it's not going to get you too far down the road that all you have to do is accept the embrace that is already there. And that loving embrace will be a lot like Jesus with his open side where he says, come, stick your hand in here, accept this embrace, welcome this invitation, come on in, and be transformed by it, so what? You can welcome others in. You can become like me. And do you know what happens when that begins to take place over and over and over again? We have a name for it. It's called the church. A church in the likeness of the crucified and resurrected Jesus. But the challenge here for us, I think, is that we are the people who I think are so prone to say, if you do this and not that, then we'll accept you. But that isn't the kind of welcome that Jesus gave me. It's not the kind of welcome that Jesus gave any of us. It is, come here. Come on in. Hold me as I hold you. And you will be transformed by this into the kind of a person who will extend that kind of a welcome to those around you. That's the kind of brushstroke that Paul is painting with. The brushstrokes of Jesus' grace and the picture that begins to form is the church in the image of Christ. And so friends, the good news comes to us in so many different ways today. It's good news that paints for us a picture of what happens when the Spirit of God begins to breathe something new into the life of the world. The church happens. And that church is an image of Jesus Christ himself who demonstrates for us what it really looks like to be strong. So I'm struck again with the question, am I strong or am I weak? And friends, if you've never considered yourself a strong person before, if you've never had it all together or had a ton of resource to offer the world, but you're living into the likeness of Jesus, 
You are strong. We need you to help the rest of us who are weak. So thanks for being patient with us when we aren't like Jesus. And for those who might say, I'm not very close to that and I recognize it, can I give you some good news? There is a welcome. Christ is offering you a deep welcome. Maybe today, you can't come to the place even yet of saying, I want to will myself to accept Jesus into my heart. But that's okay. Jesus is accepting you to his. And friends, that's why we come week after week to this kitchen table. Week after week, we come here and we work this stuff out around this table where we all eat and drink of the emblems of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. To me, those sound like emblems of weakness. What kind of people would get together and celebrate that kind of weakness? Oh, maybe it's the ones who have been so transformed by the Spirit that now we can see them for what they really are. This is the way that God is making the world new and the weakness that the world has seen has now become the strength of what is transforming the world into the newness of what God is bringing. It's how we work this stuff out. We look around and we say, they might call you weak and they might call you weak and they might call you weak. I know that you're strong because you show me Jesus and I need you to carry me to the cross, to the table, where we can work this stuff out together and become what we eat at this kitchen table. And so in a moment, the musicians are going to come, and we're going to go to prayer. And friends, after we pray, we're going to come to the table. And as we're praying, I would encourage you simply to ask the question, am I strong or am I weak? Who am I in this equation? Is my life and the things that I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis, a stroke that makes sense into the finished image of a church in the likeness of Jesus Christ? Am I so caught up in what God is doing in the world that it just my life only makes sense according to the new thing that is happening in Jesus Christ? If that is the case, thanks be to God. Be patient with us, please. I know around our culture, it's really in vogue right now to just throw people under the bus in really public ways. The call-out culture. Mock people who aren't as good as you. Thank you for not doing that. I need your patience to be more faithful to the way of Jesus. We need your patience. Love us the way Christ would love us. For those who are saying, the way you're defining it, Tim, I'm kind of weak today. There is welcome for you here. There is an embrace that transforms who you are becoming so that you too can be a brushstroke in the image of a church in the likeness of Christ. Let's go to prayer today. Thanks for joining us this week. If you'd like to join us next Sunday for worship, we'll be having service at 9 a.m in the sanctuary on campus, which will be live streamed to Facebook Live. For those joining us online, we will still be doing our virtual lobby at 8.45. Make sure to check out our other weekly podcast, TCC Conversations, which airs on Wednesdays at 8 a.m. 
Head over to our website for updated information on gatherings, on-campus worship, and other weekly resources. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to see you next week.